0: Hey, listeners, I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I'm bringing you my conversation with playwright and associate artistic director of Syracuse Stage, Kyle Bass. Kyle is the author of the play Possessing Harriet, which received its world premiere at Syracuse Stage. Subsequent and upcoming productions include the Franklin Theatre Company, East Lynn Theatre Company, and the Heartbeat Ensemble. His new play Salt City Blues will premiere at Syracuse Stage in 2021. Kyle is the co-author of the original screenplay for the film Day of Days. Kyle is also a two-time recipient of the New York Foundation for the Arts Fellowship, a finalist for the Princess Grace Playwriting Award, and a Pushkar Prize nominee. His other full-length plays include Tender Rain, Bleecker Street, and Separated, a piece of documentary theater about the student military veterans at Syracuse University. Kyle is the co-author of Cry for Peace, Voices from the Congo, which had its world premiere at Syracuse Stage and was subsequently produced at La Mama in New York City. Current projects include the libretto for an opera based on the life and music of legendary folk singer Libba Cotton and the screenplay adaptation for the novel Milk. Kyle is the Associate Artistic Director at Syracuse Stage, an Assistant Professor of Theatre at Colgate University, and the Susan P. Stroman Visiting Playwright at the University of Delaware. Kyle holds an MFA in playwriting from Goddard College and is a proud member of the Dramatist Guild of America. Listeners, Kyle is incredible, both as an artist and as a human. I'm so honored to bring his insight to the podcast. It was exciting to talk to a playwright-producer. It's a refreshing perspective to hear about both the artistry and the business that we're in. It's playwrights and producers like Kyle Bass that make me so excited for the future of theater. We talk about how our work, whether we're conscious of it or not, reflects the time in which we're living, and how current events and the cultural zeitgeist infuses our work, even if we're working on a play set in the past. He explains that if the world today isn't influencing your work, you're not alive to the moment. I love that. Kyle tells the story of hearing actors read aloud one of his scripts for the first time, and the next day, walking into his pharmaceutical sales job and quitting. He dropped everything and went back to school for playwriting, and boy is the theater a better place because he did. This is a story that literally everyone needs to hear. I could go on and on about how inspired I am by Kyle, but I want you to hear it for yourself. So without further ado, my conversation with Mr. Kyle Bass. All right, I, I am talking today with Kyle Bass, who I'm just like, from the second your video popped up, I just instantly was like in a better mood today, because I'm just <laughs> so happy to see you. I've, I did my undergrad at Syracuse, so I've known Kyle for a long time since then, kind of peripherally, but we really started to connect more when I went and did uh, the show at Syracuse Stage, Great Expectations, back in 2016. I can't believe that. Has was, it been was that long? Wow. I, I know, I know. And, um, and then again, when I came back the following year, Kyle produces a, a cold reading series at Syracuse Stage. And, and it was really fun to get to come back and, and work on some new, some new plays. So and um, I'm so happy to be connecting with you again today. And thank you so much for being on the podcast, Kyle.
1: It's really great to see you, Robbie. Thank you for having me. It's really, it's really exciting to be here.
0: I uh, wish we were doing this in person Um, (laughs) and maybe we'll do uh, Kyle on the breakdown 2.0. We'll get to do it someday in person. That sounds good. All right. Sign me up. Sign me up. But like, as is the way we are connecting over the internet, But, um, but I'm grateful for to have you and to have the time and to be chatting with you. I'm
1: really happy to be here.
0: So I usually like to start talking about. You know what was life like for you in March when when this all started, and I guess it's a two point question. Like, how how did it all kind of come to a fast or slow halt for you, and in, in what you're doing? And I know you have a couple different titles and jobs and things that you do. Yeah. And then uh, what are you what are you uh, up to now? You know, there's no obligation to be up to anything in the last four months, but I just think it it's interesting what some artists are doing to. Um, Stay busy or stay creative, and to stay, you know, working with flexing those, you know, creative muscles. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, you know, oh God, March of this year feels like it was March of eight years ago, on some level. Mm-hmm. And you know, in March I was teaching. I um, I teach at Colgate University, playwriting, screenwriting, um, contemporary African American drama, and you know we knew we knew this was coming right we knew it was coming and so and yet it felt very far away right mm-hmm. um and well, i don't think we need to go into here the you know the failure of our our leader of leadership about you know uh, but the, absolutely we understand that yeah this pandemic right but so we saw it coming in march we, you know i was teaching i was you know, um, working at Syracuse Stage still, where I remain as the Associate Artistic Director and, you know, doing the things we do, um, producing shows, thinking about the coming season, planning the season. A lot of what I do um, at Syracuse Stage is I put what I call the humanities events around our production. So for instance, uh, talkbacks, panels, poetry readings that are in conjunction with the work that's on our stage. So, you know, doing those things, thinking about um, about Cold Read, which you mentioned, or um, the Cold Read and Play Reading Festival that I curate at Syracuse stage, thinking about that. Um, and then obviously um, having to cancel that as we, you know, we stopped our season, you know, Pretty much at the half, just beyond the halfway point. Um, Yeah, I mean, we're just living life and it all seems so very distant now. And um, it's a little sad because it will never be the same again. Mm -hmm. And we don't know when we'll get back to what um, something close to what we were doing. Just personally, as a writer, I was writing, and I continue to, I was writing under three commissions and I am writing under three commissions now. I had a play that was going to open this past June um, in New Jersey at the Eastland Theater Company, my play Possessing Harriet, which would have been its third production.
0: Congratulations.
1: Uh, Thank you. Um, So that was canceled and now has been moved to next, next year. Um, And it's lucky, you know, to know, that um, it didn't get let go of, but they're going to produce it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that being, you know, you know, on lockdown and just being careful and being home really kind of fits my my personality type. I am a homebody by nature, and as a writer, the time was like. Although it's, it's horrific, right? It's a terrible thing, but the time was a kind of gift. Wow! I can. I'm in my home. I have fewer distractions because I really don't want to go out. I don't want to go to places. I'm not going to go sit at the coffee house because no one's sitting at coffee houses and you know right. at, coughing on each other. So consequently, I've been writing even more. I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly disciplined writer, um, mm-hmm. but even more so um, now. And reading, you know what I was doing. So like in March, I became really obsessed with. Um, Pandemic literature, right? Yeah, so, right. So, um, for you know, for thirty-some odd years, I have carried around in my life the you know the first edition copy of *Love in the Time of Cholera*, right? That great novel, which I was—I just said, I'll read it one day. I'll read it one day. And what I love about books is that they keep, right? So I, And then the pandemic hit. I thought, I'm going to read that book. And so I read, every morning I got up with my coffee and I read Love in the Time of Cholera. And it was extraordinarily beautiful, extraordinarily mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful book. And just thinking about um, this poetic world in which love exists during, you know, a protracted disease, you know, atop a culture, atop a society, and thinking about that. And then I was really taken. So I read, you know, The Plague by Albert Cabu. And then I got really into it. And then I read this, you know, this nonfiction book called, you know, Pandemics and Society, right, by Frank Snowden. And I was just like, both terrifying myself, like, oh, my God, this is horrible, um, but also deeply interested in reading things that were um, from the past. But were relevant to my and our current our current situation. I read a play by Horton Foote, one of my favorite playwrights, American playwright Horton Foote. He has a play called um, 1918, and it's set against the blue pandemic of that year. And so just reading these, this work, this art, this literature, that spoke so immediately to what well, you know we're all living through. I found actually really inspiring. I found it artistically inspiring.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so, you know, so reading and writing and, you know, when we're in our homes, we start thinking about, I need a new sofa. <laughs> I yes, we do. That, right? I need to move that picture from that wall and put it on that wall. Why haven't I painted that room? <laughs> so, you know, suddenly our houses be, you know, the sets in which we live, Our home, I love that, right? Is speaking to me in a very like change me, alter me, right? You know, things can be moved, Mm -hmm. right? And just really thinking about space and the meaning of space and personal space, right? Um, The objects that are in my life, the stuff that I have. What do I need? What what don't I really need, right? When we're confronted with it, when we're on lockdown with it, I think you find you you need and want less of it. Um yep. so it, it all feels part, so I'm revising. I'm this kind of daily revising, taking clothes to goodwill, just picking different things to be on display in my house, putting other things away for another time. Yeah. Revision, revision, revision. So I just feel totally kind of like in a world of making. I'm making 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 changing altering revising making so that's what it's that's what it's been but also productive writing a lot
0: great i love th- i love that you're leaning into the whole like we are in a pandemic and we are in this time of certainly uncertainty but yeah. that you're you know you're using art or these novels to kind of lean into the to the times that we're in i think that's that's what they're ultimately there for i think that's why we like keep doing Shakespeare plays over and over because we find that the time that we're living in are relevant to the themes. And, you know, it's, it's just speaks to the, um, to the relevance that those novels clearly still have. Do you think that your, do you foresee your, uh, this influencing anything you are writing right now? Oh, that's a great question. Okay. So
1: yes. Right. Because I think like, for instance, all makers, artists, you can only do that in the time in which you live. Right? So for instance, even if I'm writing a play about the past, if I'm writing a play set in 1950 but I'm writing it in 2020, the DNA of 2020 is all through my version of 1950. Mm. It can't be otherwise. I do not think. Mm-hmm. Right? Cuz something about 19 something about 2020 is making me think about or is influencing how I think about 1950. So I'm writing a play now, um, the end of the 2021 season, at the end of that season, my new play, Salt City Blues, will have its world premiere at Syracuse Stage, fingers crossed. Right. Right. Um, um, So I'm still working on that play. And uh, as a playwright, um, I write a new play right up until opening night. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like, I get to, you know, I get to do that. And, Playwrights who come to Syracuse Stage who are working on new plays—they get to do that too. The first production of a play is for the playwright. It's the only time that will ever be the case. Right? I, I mean, in that in that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on this play now. Now this play is set in in a fictional Syracuse, as you know. It's called the Salt City. My play is called Salt City Blues, and in the play, this the city is called Salt City, right? And so it's set in. 2016-17 when the debate about the highway, um, 81 viaduct coming down in the middle of the city was was really like taking shape and coming to conclusion about what they were going to do and so on and so forth. So I've been writing that play but, you know, along my revision process comes the pandemic. And along in my revision process comes the police murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Suddenly I'm revising this play and thinking about this play and all of these very new ghosts are haunting my work. Oh, I love that. Right. And the way that I cannot
0: deny. You're so good with words. You should be a playwright.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, it's,
0: um, it's exactly what you said with, you know, how can the time in which you're living in not be, you know, whether it's directly influencing, you know, like it's actually in the work, but, you know, how can you write in this time and have the tone and the
1: feelings that are happening
0: not be in that work that you're writing?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know how you do it. And, you know, and, and something tells me that if you feel you're, you're able to, then you are not fully alive to your moment. Hmm. You're not fully open to it if, you know... This shall, ha- this shall leave no impress on my work. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And and frankly, I haven't shifted what my play is about, but the DNA of uh, the time in which I'm writing it is in there. And so something about the ter- you know the turn of phrase, something about a moment in the piece takes on I recognize, oh, that's going to ring differently now. Than, I, than it did in the draft I wrote last year, mm-hmm. right? So now I got to now I have to I have to deal with it, right? And say, is that a good thing? Do I need to do more? Do I need to do less? Right? How do I take advantage of my my draft meeting the moment or the moment colliding with my draft? Mm. Right? What can I do with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It's exciting and terrifying actually um, to be open and kind of um, aware of that and working in that way. But it's, it's really, really exciting. And I don't think there's any, you can't get around it, not in any valuable way.
0: Right. Right. And it would also just seem like a disservice to mm-hmm. to the, to the art and to what you're doing to not, yeah. to not be right. using all of that.
1: That's right. Um, I'm so
0: curious because I actually don't know your path. And I love to hear um, definitely, you know, briefly about how how you got to where you are and what you're doing for, to know a little bit more about your work and to know more about you, but also for others that may be listening who are looking to go into playwriting. Maybe there are actors or dancers that are looking to start writing plays or looking to be an associate artistic director or marrying all of those two and then teaching. So, uh, yeah, yeah i just love to know a little bit about, you know, when you found theater and, and how you decided to, how you got to each one of the places that you are now. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to go right
1: back to the beginning. Mm-hmm.
2: Right,
1: I tell people that I was raised in the family of show offs. So. <laughs> um, that you know that that creates a kind of person, I guess. Um, but I have always, I've always found you know language, language and music, those two things were very important to me as a child. I guess they became important. So as a you know the first impressions, the power of language and music, and the similarities between language and music, I. I, can, I Looking back now, I think I was keyed into that really early on. I remember as a child, like very distinct images. My earliest memories are very dramatic, like scenario clips. Um, I was very interested in the lives and troubles and woes of adults when I was a child. Hmm. Um, I found, I found adult lives mysterious and engaging, and scary and dramatic and wonderful. I loved to listen to adults talk um, when my parents would have like friends over or something. I would like go under the table, dining room table, and just listen to the conversation, and I just loved it. Music was very very early for me. Um, I started studying music when I was five, thought I wanted to be a concert pianist. Um, but then this other keyboard, a typewriter, I'm, I'm showing my age came into the house and I thought, oh my goodness, look, at, look at what this keyboard can do. Right. I and love so, that. It
0: is just like a different keyboard.
1: right. And found myself like, like tapping rhythms into the keys. And at that point, I was writing poetry. I began as a poet. Then I started writing short stories. But then I would write those short stories, and then I would read them into a tape recorder and then listen to it back. And so I now know that I was creating my own little theater, Mm. that in fact, I was writing fiction, but the need to hear it in the air, the need to, um, to perform it, right, and capture that performance, the reading. So I wrote fiction for a good while. And then I, you know, and then play started happening. I can't tell you when, or I can, as a matter of fact, when I was in grad school studying fiction writing, I had an advisor and he said, have you ever thought about writing for the stage? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> I asked him why. He said, your, your short stories are very dramatic, he said. And what he meant was that I, you know, I had very distant narrators and really relied on dialogue and description of physical action to tell the story. So, I, I, you know, that stayed with me. And then I'm going to jump ahead. I was, you know, I get out of school. Um, I go into the work world. You know, I'm doing like working in like, you know, these for profit like pharmaceutical marketing firm, which is a like, gross and awful and it's terrible. And it pays well and it's terrible. It pays well, but it's but it but I'm paying a price too. Right? So the net gain is a loss.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, right? And on my desk, I find that I'm writing like scenes and character descriptions. And I'm spending my lunches in the library and I'm reading Ibsen and I'm reading Arthur Miller and I'm reading August Wilson. And Edward Albee, and all I'm thinking about suddenly is, oh, I want to write, I want to write plays, right? I want to write stuff and have people say it under the lights, uh-huh. right? So um, I do that. I find a, a, a playwriting group here in Syracuse. I give them a call. I'm invited to their meeting. They invite me in. They produce the first readings of my work, and I am hooked. I'll never forget it. There used to be a little theater space in Armory Square in Syracuse. It um, um, used to be a coffee house and cake house called Happy Endings. And they had a fabulous little performance space attached to it. And there was um, my the first reading of anything I'd ever written meant for an actor and for an audience to watch was presented there. And I'll never forget that day. And we were sitting in the space and the artistic director... David Feldman, um, lights go down and it begins. And I'm just like, you know, staring at the actor on stage and he leans back in his seat and he says to me, look at the audience. He whispers, look at the audience. And I look and they are glued to that personage on stage, that character. And from that moment, I was hooked. I thought, oh my God. I could never experience this as a novelist. I can't be over the shoulder of my reader, but I can be in the audience with my audience. I'm like, oh my God, right? Oh, it's so, I'm, I'm thrilled now the way I just talk. I was so, it was so it was terrifying and thrilling, right? I thought, oh, this is really great, mm-hmm. right? So I knew. And so I went back to grad school <laughs> and this time just study playwriting. And I did that, um, was Successful in doing that. Um, I, um, I had I had been at Syracuse stage in the early '90s, and I left in '95. Lived my life working in the for-profit world, um, but then I left that. Just quit that job in the middle of the day on a Tuesday in October. Wow! Just walked out on it. You know what happened? I'll tell you what happened, Robbie. Yes, I was sitting in my at my desk in my awful you know job. At you know the pharmaceutical marketing firm, right? I was, oh God! Um, and I had been in this office about three months. I had moved from one office to another, nice big office. But on the, there was a bulletin board on the wall across the room, and there was a button, like a you know, like a button, like a slogan button, pinned to the um, the bulletin board. I never I never looked at it. I never I knew it was there, but I didn't know what it said. I never looked at it. So. This, I, this is all building up. I've had this reading. I've had this experience in the theater. I have found myself in a little theater space in Syracuse. This has happened now, right? And so on some level, I'm suffering even more because I've found myself. Mm. But on Monday, I had to go be this other person, right? So now I go, so it's Tuesday. And I'm just like, oh, so it's like, I'm just now like exploding with, oh my God, I can't be here. And so I get up, and I just have to walk the energy off. And I cross the room, and for the first time, I look at that button, and I read it. And it's a quote from J.R.L. Tolkien. It says, I'd rather be a wanderer all my life than cross the wrong threshold every day. Ugh. I was like, oh, my God. I took that button. I put it in my pocket. I walked out of my office. I went downstairs to the president's office, and I resigned. Wow mortgage, car payment, the whole shebang. Haven't even talked to my partner about it. Quit my fucking job. Good for you. Right? I remember. So, you know, and those, right, it was a sales job. And so in those, you know, in a sales job, you leave then. Like you, there's no two weeks, mm-hmm. right? So I remember I had my little box of shit and, you know, I put in my, whatever, my stuff in my little box and I was, and people were getting word of it was going through the company, people were coming up like, what, what, what happened? Like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I remember I said, so I went downstairs and I got in my car. It was a beautiful October. Beautiful. I remember what I was wearing still. This is back in 2004. I got in my car and I remember I, I was trying to figure out how I was going to tell my partner that I quit my job, right? We just purchased the house like two years before. Wow. And I'm driving and I'm driving around Syracuse, right? And the window was open. It's like, it's like one of those beautiful late, late, like the early autumn, that feels like summer. Right. And I remember my, t- my tie is flapping out the window as I'm driving. And I never felt so heavy and so light at the same time. Mm. And That's incredible. from then on, I, you know, I, uh, I went back to grad school and got an MFA in playwriting, and my life changed, absolutely changed. I returned to Syracuse Stage, you know, 10 years after I had left. Um, and, you know, was when I first went to Syracuse Stage, I was the Assistant Director of Marketing and Development. Um, then I le- And then I became the Publications Manager, and then I left, I was gone for about nine, 10 years. I came back in 2005, as the PR manager, and I also began to teach in the department, and that's why I came back because Jim Clark, Jim Clark said, "Come teach playwriting," and I did, and did that for a good long while. Um, but then I became um, the artistic associate when when Tim Bond came as the new artistic director. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted some more time for my own work. I wanted to go part time. He wanted me to kind of be connected, and so I. Um, he knew I was a playwright. He said, I tell you what, why don't you be the artistic associate? Do part time, you know, think about season with me, so on and so forth. Well, that lasted about five months. And he was like, I need you here all the time. And so I said, Great. And I came, I said, um, I'll be your literary manager. Right. Which became really the de facto dramaturg. And in many ways, the de facto associate artistic director, although I did not have that title at the time, I, I functioned in very, in very much the same way, although I don't direct and, and you know, I, I didn't then. Then I became the resident dramaturg because that was more fitting a title to what I was actually doing. Mm-hmm. And then Tim left and then Bob Hupp came to Syracuse stage. And I was thinking of leaving. I thought it was time to go on and do something else. And he asked me to stay and he, and he said, I'd like you to stay and I'd like to make you my associate artistic director. And so that's how that happened. And what's nice about that is that I'm not a director, so I'm a playwright. And so the, the combination that he is a director and the artistic director, I am a playwright and I'm the associate artistic director. It's a really nice combination and it's been really successful um, working with him. And um, he said to me, like Syracuse Stage is my home as a director, Syracuse Stage can be a home for you as a playwright as well.
2: Mm-hmm. And it has
1: been, you know, they produced the world premiere of uh, Possessing Harriet and now um, are do, um, we're doing Salt City Blues at the end of next year. So that was my journey. <laughs> Sorry, long story, but that was my journey.
0: <laughs> oh, I loved it. And I like hope everyone listening right now thinks about that Tolkien quote and oh. and just applies it to their life because I mean it's like firsthand you know taking that leap is so scary especially from that job that was providing you financial stability but you know the only way you this is so cliche but you can fly is really by just like you know if you'd stayed in that job you know who, who knows what would have happened and just so, yeah. and it's been so wonderful for me to, you know, watch since I came to Syracuse 2007 to watch, you know, your, your trajectory move. And when I found out, I remember like we got an email um, that you were the new official associate artistic leader. Mm-hmm. I was, I just think everyone was thrilled to have you there because you're also Syracuse stage is in your DNA, you know, and to have mm-hmm. someone in that position who loves and is so passionate about the theater makes all of us feel, feel a little bit better. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I think you have such a unique position that you are a producer and also a playwright. And I wonder, if any, I imagine they're so, but what is the effect of being a producer and talking about programming in a more official, direct capacity, you know, now or since you've been working with Tim Bond? How has that affected your writing style or what you write? or... Or how have you been thinking about your writing in a different way because of the responsibilities that you've had,
1: right? So um, that's a really good question. Um, so in, in, in working with Tim, I functioned in a way, you know, in, in a general sort of way. But then, you know, I think specifically to his the kind of, of, of producing artist director he was and what he had to over what he had to oversee, which is both as you know Syracuse Stage and SU Drama, right? Bob Hupp is the artistic director of Syracuse Stage, and so I think you know, and I work with him, you know, you know, season planning very, very closely, Mm -hmm. Um, and I really, I really enjoy working with him. But in terms of thinking about how it kind of intersects with my own, my own work, well, a couple of things. Well, what I had always been. Part of, the, uh, of our audition and casting process on some level at Syracuse Stage. And even that, you know, I know there are, I, mean, I love EPAs. I really do. And partly because I like plays and I like and love actors. And so I, if I'm going to sit at a table for eight hours and people are going to come and do a little plays, sign me up. Yes, I'll watch that. And the ticket is free. And I think it is free, and I see some wonderful actors. I hear monologues from plays I, I don't know. When you are um, kind of immersed in the world of the art that you do, right, hmm. it, I mean, it's, the osmosis is, you know, literally saturating because it's like I'm in it all the time, mm-hmm. right, every aspect. Um, thinking about who our designers and directors are thinking about and when conversation with them that comes in and so you know when i write a stage direction you know it once again the idea of dna it holds the dna of every conversation i've ever had with a designer or director for the stage
2: mm.
1: right that influences this blueprint i'm making and this is constant reminder the kind of um, you know, on some level, playwriting is a very lonely task until it isn't, because then it becomes very social because you have to throw that script into a community of people. Who all have something to say. Who all have something to say. And I love, I, 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 you know, it's, it, it's, it's crazy and like I'm ah, mad, mad making, but it's wonderful and it's beautiful. And when you surround yourself, you can work with good people then it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift in return. I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to say. I really think about, you know, I'm writing, I'm, I'm not writing the play I think the audience wants to see. I don't know what the audience wants to see. It's none of my business about what the audience wants to see. Not as a playwright, mm. right? That might be a different discussion as a producer, but as a playwright, I don't know what you want to see. I'm not going to write a play that I think you want to see, Right, it'll be false. It'll be it won't it won't address the things I'm thinking about as I'm thinking about them. Mm-hmm. Right, um, but I also think I love actors. I really, really do. I, you know, speaking of influence, when I went to college as an undergrad, that fall semester, the the theater department production, the play was Hedda Gabler. Now I'm 18 years old. I've never even heard of Henry Ibsen. I don't know how to gobbler, but all my—I was an English major. All my friends were theater majors because they were the fabulous people, <laughs> right? The act, right? <laughs> right? The actors—they were just so totally, you know, you know, you know, just great. You know, I had never met—I had never really met a community of other eighteen of eighteen-year-olds who were so that way, right? Just constantly on. I'm like, oh my god, you creatures, you're fabulous. Um, so, so I went to see Hedda and Robbie, it was a revelation. I could not believe even with, you know, she was a senior and I'll never, I I didn't even know her. I will never forget her name. Anne Fole, Anne Fole played Hedda. And I had, I couldn't believe that someone had imagined her and had written her. I couldn't believe it. I went every performance. Oh, I love that. every performance and 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 consequently I think it's why I love I particularly love women on stage and I like to write women Mm. Um, and I think I think Hedda Ample's Hedda I got a lot of that DNA in me and just I was just I was just blown I was just blown away so fast forward when I'm writing now um, you know yes I'm writing I'm writing the play I want to see but I'm also in the back of my mind, and I try to keep it down on a low volume, is the question, is the goal partly, is my work worthy of an of a, of a smart and skilled and talented actor's time and effort?
0: Mm, interesting.
1: And, and a director, right? Am I giving, am I writing a role in which an actor can step into the language and find a new life? Hmm. Am I doing that right? Um, am I making it worthy? Do I want to see an actor do this, right? So that's kind of you know kind of back there, and also trusting the actor. One of the things we find when you finally put your draft into even a reading or certainly to a rehearsal, and it never goes away, that you find all that you don't need, right? And because actors you know, I think of myself as a composer for an extraordinary instrument called an actor. That's an incredible quote. That's a great pull right. cool quote. <laughs> and I just want to give the range, right? The human scale of emotion and possibility, physical, verbal, all that the actor can do. And you find that the actor obviously can do so much. And so finally you, you see that you, you need fewer words because the actor has this expressive body, mm. right? Um, and the good director knows where to put that body, right? So I don't, you know, maybe I don't need that line because the actor did that with so little. Mm. And, that, and that's better, that's better. That's more like it is in life. We really don't say everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, But what goes unsaid rarely goes unexpressed.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: That's that's the actor. I love actors. But I want them to talk, too, because I want to hear them, right? And so I want to to write the full utterance. I want to write the monologue. That for me, theatricality is the language of theater, Mm. right? There's all kinds of theatricality. I can bring out, you know, horses and guns and lightning and, you know, move back and forth in time and have a narrator and do all those theatrical things and more. But for me, it comes down, what's theatrical is the actor revealing himself, herself, themselves on stage through the words, Hmm. right? Even when they think they're not, because, you know, we speak to conceal, right? That's what we really do. And yet, you know, we're getting it. And when the actor is alive on stage like that, and when the language takes the actor to a new place, it's, it's it's nothing like it. There's nothing like it.
0: Agreed, agreed. I think it's it's like experiences like what you like what you were talking about seeing Hedda that, or you know, that we constantly see when we have those that just keep us. I mean, it's a drug. We're addicted. You know. Yes, it's, that's it's, right. That's right I had you know I had a similar experience in 2007 that was the year that Bob Moss directed dangerous liaisons and mm. I don't remember that woman's name did you see that production I did I did I do not remember the woman's name either oh my gosh I, I will edit it in right now yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> the actress's name was Susanna Livingston. But she was, I mean, I felt the same way about watching that woman on stage. I was like, I can't believe that someone has imagined this character. And when she was, the way she executed it and interpreted it was just delicious. Yes, so, yes, 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 yes. You know, I'm, the thing that I'm um, kind of excited to ask you just, um, you know, selfishly, but I think others listening will be interested to know is, you know, moving into the audition room a little bit, talking about that mm-hmm. audition room, you love actors, you love um, EPAs. And, and I love that. It's so, that's just so wonderful. Cause it's, you know, when you do an EPA for someone who appreciates your time, it just makes it all worth it. Mm-hmm. I wonder, let's talk about like appointment auditions when actors, you know, maybe are, you know, say possessing Harriet, you know, they've been emailed the sides uh, ahead of time. What are things that connect you or that make you maybe lean forward or uh, that are what makes you excited about about an actor when they're you know first kind of interpreting that material you know reading it in, in an audition situation or I guess more directly like what's helpful for actors to know about maybe taking a first pass through um, mm. in an audition situation you know uh, a playwright's work So yeah I mean and, and I will
1: I will speak to it as like a playwright auditioning, actors for my own work. And I think one of the things, you know, when I go into, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. When I go into a rehearsal with a play, I ask really one thing of the actors. And that is to say the words as written. Hmm. Because I'm in a process But the line. I wrote that line. I wrote each word one at a time. I thought about it. I've made revisions. It is not on the page by accident,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And if it's wrong, that may be, but it's not. It's not there by mistake. I made a choice. Those five words in that order, right? For me, words are like notes in music. Mm. So that's that's the I asked that. I asked I ask fidelity to the language. Absolutely. Right? Because I wanna I need to hear it the way I the way the way I wrote it. Mm-hmm. So that's in the rehearsal process. In the audition, I am listening for some of that, but what I'm more want to hear is that the I can see the actor has worked to begin, because it's an audition, to begin. To find a life within these words,
2: hmm.
1: I can. I can see. I can see that. I can see that they get a sense. Oh, this playwright language is a thing, right? And yep. that they sense. Right. That they sense that, and that they are, you know, communicating that. But you know, you never. It's never about over communicating it. But I. But you can sense it. You can sense it. Mm-hmm. Um, the actor who walks in and has the and, and and has the smart question—that's a real question that's going to inform what they do, not just to show off that they can ask a question.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes total sense, right?
1: Yep, right. Um, so I think that's I think that's um, key. Um, I love it when I see an actor achieve the maximum through doing the minimum. Mm. What do you mean by that? Do less. Yeah. Do less. Yeah. Right. It's an audition, not a campaign.
0: I love that. I think that <laughs> that could be underlined.
1: <laughs> you know. So, and and I get it, and, and and I know you know I do, and I know how. And plus, the thing that I admire is that the I mean, I don't think I'm not sure that enough of the audience bless them understands. The thing the actor is doing in terms of vulnerability, the thing that human, that other human, that human being up up there under the lights, what she's actually doing mm. to herself for your benefit and hers, but for yours, right? Yeah. Um, I so when actors bring it all. I don't know, were you at, were you at SU when Brian Dennehy came and gave him a, a masterclass? I don't, I can't remember. I, I don't know. I can't remember. I was, I would really remember that. You would remember. So Brian Dennehy, the great American actor, Brian Dennehy came, you know, and he said, if the role doesn't cost you anything, you haven't done it right. Hmm. If it doesn't take something from you. Hmm. And leave it kind of forever in that space where you performed it, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? And I think some of that responsibility is on the playwright,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right? Um, To write, right? yes, to write with honesty, no bullshit, not one ounce, not one syllable of it ever. So in the audition, you know, you know, you want to get, I'm looking for a sense of, you know, are, have they, in the brief time they've had, had they begun, not complete, because this is only the beginning, they're not even really in the process. That's the kind of the the pre-process, right? But, you know, can we imagine where they'll be in three weeks with this material? Mm. By what they've done in three minutes in this room?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that totally makes sense.
1: Yeah, so that's, you know, those things. And then you want, you know, you want smart, you want smart, you want smart people, emotionally smart, but smart people in the room as well, especially for a new play. You want patient people and you want skilled people because you're going to get new pages every day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Yep. It, it just might be as it was, for instance, um, you know, Tazewell Thompson returned to Syracuse stage to direct the role premiere of Possessing Harriet. And I was so happy to have him because he and I are kindred spirits about language on stage. I love his work. He loved the play. And you always want to work with a director who loves your play a little more than you do. (laughs) Right? Yep. Um, And um, he's also a playwright. He understands the process. And he said, this is for you. And I was like, yes, great, 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 great. And that meant, you know, I I rewrote... Through the whole process, through the first week and a half, I was in the rehearsal room.
2: Mm.
1: And I rewrote much, not much, but significant things about that play. Because now I had the actors in the room and I could see what they do. And then I I saw what I needed. And more importantly, I saw what I didn't need. But we had had the benefit of having a workshop in New York prior to going into rehearsal. And that was a great gift. Mm -hmm. Right? With the directors, the designers, everybody in the room in New York prior to going into rehearsal proper at Syracuse stage.
0: Yeah. That is such a gift and a gift for everyone.
1: Yes. Yes. I rewrote a third of the play in that workshop. Wow. Um, absolutely. And then, you know, I rewrote the people who saw the previews of possessing Harriet saw a different ending than those who saw it opening night and after, because I rewrote the, I rewrote the ending on opening night morning. Wow. And put that into rehearsal, and I didn't see it until I saw it in production on opening night. Oh,
0: wow. That's cool.
1: And the actors went with it. Yeah. And they were great.
0: Because they knew
1: this is, you know, the first, you know, the first the first full production of the play is part of its development process. Mm-hmm. And maybe some after, but certainly that was the case. And actors who can be with you and go with you, right? And take the new pages and learn them, and not fight for what had more attention on them, Mm -hmm. their character, now that that's been moved or rewritten, right? Yeah. So those those collaborators, truly collaborators, Mm -hmm. right? If you're an open playwright, a good actor, you listen, they will teach you loads about your play. Mm. Show you important things you could not have seen without them.
0: I love that, and I love that you're you are so open to change and to hearing things from other people. And I just think those are, I've worked with a couple playwrights who are, who don't like, who don't change anything and don't want to change anything. So it's, Mm -hmm. that's just a Testament to you and being a good be also being a
1: good playwright in the process as well. Well, I remember something someone said when I was, you know, just getting into like this madness, this glorious Mm -hmm. madness. Um, you know, the playwright who listens to no one and the playwright who listens to everyone are in the same sinking ship. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So yeah. You know, all you gotta do is listen. That doesn't mean we have to change anything. Listen. Right? I think that's probably true for life too.
0: Right. It's <laughs> a good thing to live by.
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
0: Um, we are running out of time, but I, um, I, I could keep talking to you literally forever. I'm just like <laughs> over here being like, "Yes, yeah, say it again." <laughs> you know, <laughs> such a champion. But I, I, you know, I've been finishing up the the last at least few podcast episodes with a question that I just have been kind of loving hearing what everyone has to say. But I just wonder, you know, going back to Kyle just getting out of your undergraduate degree or being in your mid to young 20s mm. what's something about the business that you wish you had maybe understood or uh, understood better or that you could go back and and tell yourself maybe less about like the artistry of it all but maybe something about about the business that that you're like man I wish I I wish I could have understood this more about whether it's playwriting or um, or the producing side of it, you know, mm-hmm. what's something that, um, that you, man, I just wish it would have been, it would have made things easier if I had kind of understood this or wish I could go back and tell myself that.
1: Well, that's a really interesting question. And on some level, Robbie, it's hard to answer because, you know, I came to Syracuse stage for the first time, I think in 1993, mm. and I wasn't a playwright then.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe, so maybe something once you got out of school for your MFA in playwriting.
1: Yeah. On the production side, I think to have, you know, to have had it even, to have a deeper, I suppose, a deeper understanding, even though, you know, just the actual, the person hours it actually takes to put a play up, (laughs) you know, right? I mean, the absolute, I mean, yeah, I had it because I was working in the theater, but I was, you know, I was like in marketing and stuff. And so closer now to our programming and art, and the artistic choice-making to have had an even deeper appreciation that someone's going to take, you know, your pa- from your pages, people are going to get busy. Mm. And they're going to be very, very busy. Right? And... Most of the people working on the thing, the audience doesn't see. The vast majority, who actually make it happen, right? And so to really, you know, I wish, and and maybe this is something you have to come to appreciate um, because maybe there's a danger in already thinking you know it, but to really understand the human effort and commitment it takes, especially especially at the professional theater level, to get a play up, right? So mm. that's on that end. But I will, but I do want to say, just on the artistic end, you know, to t- you know, I would have warned my younger self that the the insecurity, um, the self doubt, the sense that one is, you know, a fraud, never goes away. Mm. That never goes away. Um, and that, you know, to allow yourself when someone says it's good to allow yourself to accept that mm-hmm. right, and not say, Oh, they don't, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Right?
0: I think that's huge. I think, mean, yeah, that's like a lifelong right? pursuit thing.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think those, those things. But, you know, I will say this is that I've been lucky and um, it has been really great to have come to the profession and the route that I've taken. And 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 it, it couldn't have been any other, mm-hmm. which is true for everybody in the world. Right. There could have been no other route. Right. And no one's route will be the same. That's exactly what to get me where I am as I am. Mm-hmm. No, right. I, I had to come the way I came.
0: Oh, well, Kyle, I'm so happy that you came the way you came so that we <laughs> could cross paths and um, both at Syracuse a few times and and today and right now. And this has been just so, so exciting. It, it makes me so happy that, that we did connect today. And I can't wait to share this with everyone. Um, Thank you. And I Thank can't wait to, to see you. you again in person at some point
1: in the new world. I know. I got a thousand... You know, I got. I got... You know, I got. I got a thousand plays I can think of. I can think of for you, but you know, like, can I see something right? Right. let's There's, do there, it. Right, there are actors, right? There are sort, there are actors that you kind of like. Oh, that's a role for. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a role for. And as you work more with actors, you know, and you want to be careful because this is how new people get shut out, right? Because everybody knows somebody. Yep. Right. That kind of thing, except the people who don't know anybody yet. That kind. Of, yeah. So, but. Still, you know, there are certain, you know, there are certain things and, um, you know, there are certain things actors do that stay, that stay with you. And so when you encounter something in a text and you think, boom, a light comes on and it'll be, you know, it's the Robbie light. It's the Ann light. It's the Rufus light. Because they, something in it reminds you of something they did or can do. So. Um,
0: oh, thank you. That's you know, great. Right. our paths will cross again. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Yeah. well, Kyle, thank you so much. This has been incredible. um, And I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing all of this with me. It's just so, so exciting.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com. And connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Facebook and Instagram at The Breakdown with Robbie. And again, if you like what you heard, help spread the word. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening. And stay tuned for another episode of The Breakdown. Ah!